Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for being here. I got a gem. This is a gem. I'm excited to share this episode with you because my guest today is Mr. Bill Gardner from Gardner Design Co., the man behind Logo Lounge and those beautiful books that we all want our design work to land in, our logos to land in at some point. So in this episode, we are talking so much print stuff, why it matters to brands and branding. And now now remember, Gardner Design Co. is exclusively branding and rebranding. So I asked Bill in this episode, why does print matter when we're only talking about branding? And you will love his answer. I'm not even going to tell you what it is, but you'll love it. We also talk about a Fortune magazine cover from 1952. And uh, I'm not going to share any more than that. But it's a good one. It's pretty cool. Now, did you know that Bill now owns Paul Rand's T-Square? He picked it up at the estate sale of Paul Rand and some of his stuff. And he's got his T-Square. Like, that's got to be a pretty cool thing to have up on the wall, right? Just wanted to share that with you. Bill talks to us about how the Gardner Design team always goes to press checks. Always. It's an incredible experience. It's important as part of the job. However, there was one time that they didn't, and the job didn't quite turn out as they had hoped, and he shares that story with us. We also get into the Gardner Design stationery and collateral, and how every piece of it has a tag and the person's name riveted by hand onto the actual card. In most cases, by the actual person whose card it is. The same is for the thank you cards. Everything is just this cohesive experience. And he shares with us why that is important for all brands, for that initial experience and for all of those tangible touch points to line up and create a good experience for the recipient. I'm really excited to share this one, so let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Mr. Bill Gardner. Cue the music. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rock their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So, let's talk ink on paper. Bill, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? How cool is this? Thanks, Dave. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to talk print. I remember from our last conversation that you had a background in print and, uh, of course, the Logo Lounge book. Um, so I thought this would be an awesome show to have you on to talk print. Glad to make it happen. Uh, yeah, we're, we're literally in the uh, process of finalizing book 12. Um, all, all of the people that are going to be in it have been identified, and there's so much incredible content in it. Um, we literally had uh, 42,000 plus logos submitted. Now, I, you know, you, you know competitions and I know competition. I don't know of any competition in the world for design that has 42,000 submissions that you've got to call through. And, it's insane. 
Yeah, and, and fortunately, we uh, and we expanded the number of judges we had this year from mm-hmm. eight to ten to be able to uh, deal with that. You know, just incredible names uh, behind the judging, and uh, they. The, the saddest part about this whole thing is that even though we've expanded the book to include three thousand logos, um, there are still just a crap ton of amazing logos that didn't make the book, yeah. uh, and it's. By no means a uh, you know a uh, reference to their quality because they're amazing logos. It was just that hey, with that many great logos and that many great designers, you got to narrow the selection. So if my math is correct on this, and math is not my strong point, you had each judge review four thousand two hundred logos. No, it, 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 and it's actually a little bit different than that. Mm-hmm. So um, here's one of the dirty little secrets about um, Logo Lunch is that when a – and I'll, I'll take one of the books here uh, as a quick uh, kind of for instance. But as you get into the book, um, every logo that is submitted is judged by exactly three of the jurors. So not every one of the ten jurors sees every logo that mm-hmm. gets submitted. Uh, to this, and it is an entirely random uh, process, so that they aren't looking at you know all the same designers' logos. That it gets mixed up almost them. But um, the judges have the ability of uh, every logo that comes in, and this is more than you need to know. But every every logo that comes in, um, they have a big screen full of logos, twenty logos at a time, and everything is marked to zero with little radio buttons, one, two, and three. So if it's amazing, they can mark it a three, or they can make it two if they really think it's great, or one if they you know see some value or leave it at zero. And that means when we're all done tabulating, that the most any logo could have would be nine. That wow. would be the height or that it could have. But um, and you can make with that many logos and that many being judged, uh, we usually end up with maybe one, maybe two that make a nine because only you know, one or two. You have the same mind. Wow. You know, they're, to make it a three um, and they're pretty stingy with those yeah. uh, then you get into more eights, more sevens, more sixes more fives and by the time you get down to the fours you've pretty much filled up 3,000 logos <laughs> yes so Wow, that's incredible. So it is a very tight competition when you look at 3,000 logos making the book, 42,000 submitted, like 39,000 logos didn't make the book now, I'm going to tell you a secret here, which is, <laughs> um, so the book, I think the sell price on a hardbound is 50 bucks, something like that, maybe a little bit less on Amazon. But if you buy a Logo Lounge membership, that's only $100. And you can see all 39,000 of those that almost made it, plus the 3,000 that did make it, plus the other 300,000 logos Yep. that have made every book we've ever had. So if you start looking at it from that perspective, it's a pretty good buy, plus the fact that you can upload all of your own work so that when book 13 comes out, you've got that possibility of being in it. So, you know, 100%. Just, and aren't you able to like search them all as well and they're all organized or categorized or tagged? And, and that's the really amazing thing about it. So we've got 340,000 logos on there right now. Um, and when you search, you know... It, and this whole thing came about because I love books and, you know, I uh, tons of logo books, but we used to pull those out. And if we were doing a design that maybe uh, we wanted to reference a horse, you know, we'd start sitting there going through books, post-it noting every horse that we could find or, you know, 
that kind of video. And you can go on, you can type in horse and it'll pull up, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight hundred horses, uh, horse logos that have been done. And you yeah. can also go in by quality. Um, if, if it's been in a book, if it was judged by a judge and received any points, if it's in people's light boxes so that you can kind of home in or you can look up by designer or where they're from or the industry or, you know, all of this which really gives you this amazing foundation of, you know, reference uh, as you're starting design and see where other designers are going with stuff. So, man, what an incredible resource. Um, So I I have a question on the print side of this. When you have 3000 logos, black and white, you've got color logos, you've got all of these different logos coming together into a printed format. Yeah. What's like? What's the pre-press side of this like? How do you design this book? Okay, so um, when we started uh, uh, doing the book, um, uh, we were working with Rockport Publishing, which is part of Keyside um, uh, Publishers, and they're mm-hmm. based out of uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts. And I think we used them for books number one through seven, if I'm not mistaken. And um, what has happened over the years is that uh, actual hardbound books, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm going to tell you the sad part of the story here, um, especially in the design community, have dropped off just dramatically um, in sales. And because of that, uh, you know, or, you know, so why? Um, partly because the content is available online. You know, um, at one point, we used to be kind of focused on doing these side stories inside Logland's books on um, specific identities that had been done that, you know, the case story, case study is really kind of interesting. And you started to realize by the time that thing came out in print, it had been, you know, fully covered and vetted in every way, you know, on the, on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And you can already find that information was old news. So, you know, we, we kind of balance that in there. But um, uh, so at the time that Rockport was doing it, the pre-press on this um, uh, was out of our hands. They had a group named Tabula Rasa that did actually the design of the book, so on and so forth. Um, starting um, a couple of years ago, we decided, you know, let's take over the publishing ourselves uh, on this. So um, we use Book Baby, um, which is one of the on-demand uh, printers that uh, is highly credible and does a really good job of uh, print uh, on these. One of the best that we've been able to find and is able to create a hardbound book for us and uh, the likes and uh, sell it through Amazon or you know Barnes & Noble or you know any of the other primary retailers you go to online to, uh, to buy it. And um, we, we pretty much design it here in office. Um, uh, we take the logos that have been submitted. We have them done at a high enough resolution now that um, we don't have to ask for people to send us in bigger files. Uh, that's easy to work with. <laughs> yeah, that saves time. Yeah, it does. But honestly, you know, those, those books, and I, I hate to say this, but um, in some ways don't want to offend anybody, but they're digitally printed. Mm-hmm. And... You know, so uh, it it kills me that we used to, uh, you know, print everything uh, with a five plate, you know, CMYKK, so that they could pull off one of the black plates and insert it with a foreign copy if it was going to be printed in another country and the likes. Um, moved away from that, but still the digital quality. Uh, and we vetted several printers before we selected them to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, really is exceptional. So. 
Yeah, and it really comes down to, especially when you're talking, you know, offset print versus digital print, when it's something where you're showcasing logos and they are coming in at a really high resolution and they're coming in really good, digital printing is fine for that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. If it, if it was a piece where you had really high resolution photos and tons of detail in the photos, that's where you start looking at, you know, does offset make more sense in this case? And is that going to add to this? Yeah, you, you and I both have a love affair with offset. I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you can't beat it. And there's, you know, there's some wondrous things with it, you know, even going into hexography and, you know, but you, you got to do what you got to do. A hundred percent. There's some realities to the efficiency of digital. That's just, you can't, you can't beat it. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that I think that maybe people don't realize, and this isn't promoting a uh, logo line so much, but uh, there, there is so much digital printed content now available um, out there that it starts to, and we, we don't have this problem so much because it's always been a bestseller in the design industry. We, we've never had any problem with making our numbers, you know, as far as sales, but it starts to allow um, books to be printed um, on things that are uh, much more niche topic that uh, had never had the kind of following or the kind of audience to warrant uh, doing a full production run. Yes. You know, Okay, and so you can get tremendous books. They're great quality, covering topics that really start to home in on details that are specific to things you're interested in. So, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, so, Bill, I want to ask you now: What is your earliest memory of print or packaging? Something maybe from your childhood, maybe from your teens. Your earliest memory of print or packaging? Yeah. Well, I was inside my mother's womb. No, I <laughs> you know, I, uh, packaging always was magical to me uh, growing up, and um, uh, so I'm 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 going to give away. I was born in 1957, which makes me I think I just turned 63 a couple of days ago, and uh, uh, so. Uh, it's it's an era that maybe a, a lot of your listeners you know aren't going to be able to uh, catch some of this vibe. And you and I are going to talk about a project here in a bit that you know maybe pulls a little bit of this back. But grocery stores were a much different thing then. And the grocery mm-hmm. store was of course for a child the only place that you you know really went maybe a pharmacy or something like that. But at the uh, grocery store, it wasn't uncommon for you to ride underneath the basket, you know. Yes. And, Staring up at all the cereal packages going by, and obviously cereal packaging, even back then, you know, had tremendous impact on me. Um, you know, uh, one of, one of the things that I recall uh, really firmly is like Wonder and Rainbow Bread. And I don't know if Wonder Bread and Rainbow Bread were uh, national brands everywhere, but um, the the packaging uh, on that. Um, I can remember on the lead edge of the bag that the loaf got shoved into, it still had the little registration marks for the the blue. Now, it, it was printed um, uh, with spot colors on those bags. It, it wasn't a CMYK process, but like Wonder had a, a, a deep blue and a red and a yellow, yeah. and they laid down a white on it. And you would see those spot registrations on there with some of the numbers and some of the, you know, little crosshairs and, you know, uh, some gradients running through it. And it, and they didn't mind the fact that that actually ran on the edge of the package. You know, I mean, they weren't trying to disguise it or anything. But to me, that was always magical. I was kind of, you know, 
I mean, what was that thing? And you'd see it on a variety of different things. And somebody pointed out to me that that was how that they they were, you know, checking the print to make sure that the it was a good print and that it wasn't out of focus or you know whatever. Yep. And so I was kind of like, oh, I'm a, I'm I'm in on an inside secret about printing. You know, <laughs> most people don't know this, but you know, yeah. You know, and those have vanished. You don't see those on a package anymore, but it was always sitting there looking at the, the kind of the stuff behind the curtains that, you know, was still on the package. And I always kind of loved that. Yeah, 100%. You guys sort of feel like you're, like you said, you're in on this secret. And I remember when I was younger, um, opening up the top of a cereal box where it's kind of glued down. Mm. And then all of a sudden on on the tab, the part where it's glued, you start seeing the same thing, registration marks and numbers. And you, you sort of, at that time, you, you don't, I didn't know what it was until uh, I got into the print industry and was like, oh, that's <laughs> what that stuff was. Yeah. So I know that feeling. Was that the cereal aisle always appealed to me? Um, uh, you know, I I think I was more concerned with there. Uh, there was always uh, some kind of a promotion attached with any cereal, and I could care less what the cereal was. I was more concerned with what the promotion was. If you know, inside the package there was some toy or a free little glider, or you could take the back of the box and cut it up and turn it into a circus or something like that. So I was always kind of sitting there turning the boxes around, kind of looking at what the promotion was on each back of the box. Yep. So the back of the box was as important to me as the front of the box was at the time. A hundred percent. And actually just recently, um, there's a podcast you should listen that came out fairly recently. It's called Business Wars. Now, okay. after you listen to the Quickie podcast and the Print Design podcast, go check out the Business Wars podcast, and they have a series of like seven or eight episodes that they call Serial Wars. And they talk about like the beginning of cereal when it was first invented and its growth to different kinds of cereals and really only two to three brands dominating the space. But they get into specifically the design and and the the sort of behind the scenes marketing thoughts on Tony the Tiger. You know, why are they adding these characters and things like that and, and how that all went. I found it fascinating from the print and packaging side. Yeah. Tony Tiger, by the way, has a really fascinating history. If anybody wants to take the time to wiki him and kind of look him up. Um, uh, as, as I start to think about um, those promotions associated with um, all those products that were coming out at the time, I, I often refer to, um, because we do so much branding work, um, the, the three different basic models for branding, which um, are monolithic, endorsed, and branded. And when we talk about endorsed, I always use General Mills as an example for an endorsed product because that happy little capital letter G that, uh, you know, was such a beautiful little mark to me. Um, and it was always on a site, white on a cyan background, mm -hmm. but it always appeared, you know, um, either in a little triangle up in the corner or in a band up across the top of the package. And I think that that was probably one of my early recognitions of, though I didn't know it was endorsed, the idea that Cheerios was the brand or Trix was the brand, but that it was a product of General Mills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so early on, that concept of endorsement through branding kind of embedded in me even though I didn't have any idea that was what was going on on the printing on the top of the boxes. Mm -hmm. Side story. Yeah, no, it was, I agree. And, that, and this, uh, the Business Wars podcast really 
talked, you know, specifically about those sort of decisions and creating those brands and different things. So it was really interesting. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, what about recently, Bill? Have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging that you really enjoyed or stood out to you? Yeah. And I, okay. Uh, this is, uh, I'm, I'm hoping this is, will be of interest to broad audiences uh, in here. But again, having already kind of given away, you know, uh, the era that my you know formative years were developing my opinions about. <laughs> um, my my dad's office. I can remember going in there, mm-hmm. and there were always stacks of magazines, you know, that you know he had had, and you know, pre-internet, obviously, way before internet, but you know. You hung on to magazines, and especially if it was a really fine magazine. Mm-hmm. And one of the magazines that was, you know, quintessential business was Fortune at the time. And uh, I, I have always loved Fortune covers, especially the ones going on in the 30s and the likes. They're just some amazing graphics. And I wasn't as fond of their covers as they started moving into the 50s and the 60s. But there was one cover in particular I'm going to share this with you. That uh, so this this is actually an issue of Fortune magazine from July of 1952. Now it's five years older than I am, uh, but at the same time, and I, I uh, I'm going to share a graphic with you so you'll be able to share this with your readers. Yeah. But you really hone in on this magazine, you'll see that. It was an illustration done by a gentleman named Jerome Snyder, who's an amazing illustrator. He was actually an AIGA medalist. Um, but as you start taking, and uh, a buddy of Milton Glaciers, by the way, but as you start taking a look at this particular illustration, you'll see that uh, in the first place, the magazine was focusing in on retail selling. But he made this collage of, you know, and it's a collage, but it's actually a painting of all of these different brands. So as you get in here, you see Wrigley's gum and a package of uh, Quaker Oats or uh, Luton or Smith Brothers cough drops, I guess, or Camel cigarettes or Prince Philip in a can, uh, tobacco or chiclets. And there's all, you know, the deeper you look at this, uh, the more you start to see brands that you recognize um, on this illustration. Mm-hmm. And I had the great fortune, uh, fortune of um, recently in an auction being able to purchase the original illustration for this, which was done by Jerome Snyder. And I will tell you that the thing that just completely amazes me about (laughs) a number of things that just really make this happen. Um, One is that the size of this thing, if you home in, like their little cow right in here, yep. uh, that has this teeny tiny, uh, it's like triple-lot rapidograph kind of line work in there. It's even smaller than that, you know, but it's not just in black. I mean, he does have all of this, all this amazing detail for the size of it that's in here. But the other thing is the fact that, you know, he's anticipating where the cover is going to be. So he's kind of laid in a little, you know, we're going to put this red bar of fortune up here. And you've got all the cut lines uh, in here and trim to here and photograph here. And they discovered that he didn't have uh, quite enough board. So he patched another piece of board (laughs) off. So he continued to paint down about another inch. But, you know, this is pre-Photoshop, guys. You know, this is before you can kind of go, oh, I don't have enough board there. I'll just, you know, clone a little bit of that down here or whatever. But, man, print was an entirely different world in 52. I mean, 
even scan capabilities back then. I mean, it, nothing like it is today. So you can't, you know, kind of go in and uh, adjust colors the way that you want to. But mm-hmm. uh, Fortune always did it right, and their covers were always beautiful. That's an incredible piece of history, and I have the, the scan of that um, yeah. cover up here, and just looking at how small some of these details are. It's just incredible. As I, as I looked at that and contemplated buying it, I was kind of going, God, where am I going to find enough wall space in our office to <laughs> put that in there? And I didn't realize it was just literally about cover size. So um, uh, a little a little side, I did a uh, close-up photo of, of that little cow just to, to, to even take a better look at it on my, uh, on my iPhone. Mm. And, and looking at it, I was going, wow, this is a really amazing graphic. So what we're going to do is we scan this now. And I've just had this for about a month. And we're going to do a super graphic of it. And we're going to entirely cover a wall in one of our uh, rooms here in the office with the graphic of this because of all of these brands and stuff. And going back to the original packaging and print of them. And anyway. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. So what... Go. What at an auction? Are you able to share how much that that illustration cost to to win at the auction or to purchase? I'm sorry. Say again. How much did that the illustration, the original, cost at the auction? I'm I'm losing you on that. I I can't hear you. <laughs> so you got it for free. Excellent. Oh, Good. Shit. My wife might be listening. To me. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, an no, undisclosed I, sum that you're happy to pay for such a beautiful piece of history. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I I think it was around fifteen hundred or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, when when it comes to the grand scheme of things, um, now what what I didn't tell you uh, is that uh, in in the same auction, two years later, he ends up doing another cover on yeah. the shop, and he did this illustration of this grocery cart with all of this stuff in it. And did you find it at the auction? <laughs> I did too. <laughs> and here's the grocery cart. Okay. And here's the inside. And that's the way he did it. That's uh, so cool. Through this grocery cart. And then he did that on top of it. So there's actually two pieces of art of his that, uh, and that, that was a different price, but I, you know, um, I, I'm a collector of things, yeah. <laughs> and I love things. Um, and I especially uh, there's there's some real wonder uh, to being able to touch some things mm-hmm. that belong to people that you just you know uh, cherished and admired. Yeah. Um, I don't think you know this, but over here this little um, T square is actually Paul Rand's T square. Um, oh. Um, and uh, a few years ago there was an auction of Paul Rand's estate and uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to pick up a number of things including a whole set of um, tools that he uh, had on his desk that uh, included all of the French curves and the likes so you, you pick one of these up and you kind of go Paul Rand you know was he was he using this at the time that he was drawing the UPS logo or you know, uh, one of his other, you know, amazing marks, but mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of nice to have them. And, and it's going to sound strange. Maybe it won't sound strange. Hopefully it doesn't sound too weird. But when you hold up that Fortune, <laughs> when you hold up that Fortune magazine, 
my yeah. first thought is, what does that smell like? Because that's from like 1952. If it was from my dad's office, it would have smelled like smoke. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm, I, I wonder if you're the same way that I am. When I, uh, when I get a new book in, the very first thing I do is I crack it open and I riffle the pages and I smell it. 100%. Um, yeah, yeah I, go figure. It, and, I, uh, and this is a part where people listening to this are going to go, no, nah, he's totally crazy. But I can identify where it's been printed based off the smell. Wow. Um, I'm again, I can identify if it's a European, an Asian, or an American print mm-hmm. um, because there's a different smell to the inks and to the papers um, that uh, you're printing on in Asia yeah. than there are in Europe than there are in the U.S. And you can kind of go, yep. And I always do that. And I go, where was it printed? Yep, sure enough. Yep, I'm similar. I can tell the method of print by smell. And you know, conventional versus UV. Wow. And yeah. the um, and Mohawk, I can identify Mohawk by smell, no problem. Really? Yeah. Wow. And yeah. I remember back when I was a pressman. Your sense of smell than Americans do. <laughs> back when I was a pressman, I remember there was a one there was one matte coated paper, and it was called Luna. And I distinctly remember the smell of this paper. You know, being a pressman, you're jogging the paper about to put it in the press. And just the smell. It was like the cleanest smell ever. I used to love that paper. Wow. Okay, that, yeah, yeah, that's like next level nerding out about that. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Bill, I want now to kick this back in history again. And I want to hear about the very first print project that you were a part of, the first one that you ever produced? Mm. um, (laughs) Well, the very first ones were before I got into design. And I think I was writing for a class president at uh, Wichita State University, which was my school I went to, which I won, by the way. But I had... I yeah, I had posters printed up, and I can recall going in with a photo of me and kind of saying, "Yeah, and I want some type, and I want, let's make it yellow." And you know, but it but it was really at the time, um, it was one of those things where you go to the printer, and the printer does it. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of like you go to the printer to get some business cards, and they pull out their you know book full of cuts, and you pick you know the the dog and the chainsaw because you know the old uh, thing about you know I'm uh, I'm. Rick Tharp did a business card once that he uh, said uh, uh, tree service and dog pruning and uh, or something like that. He had a little poodle and a chainsaw on the business card. I just love that card that he'd gone to a printer and had them set up. But I mean, that that was kind of the way it was done. But mm-hmm. um, I will tell you that probably the, um, the thing that I recall uh, most about uh, print was that when I was in design, uh, you were required to take a course in print. Yeah. Uh, actually, go over and work at their press, and uh, to disassemble one and reassemble to some degree, um, and uh, taught how to, you know, the, the various functions of the press. And it was just an ABDIC, probably, and you know, not, not a very serious press, maybe a two-color press, but um, but it taught you just enough to have a level of comfort when you were talking to a pressman mm-hmm. and. 
there was still a lot of mystery. And I, I think that this is still one of the areas that doesn't get covered enough with uh, design students. They, you know, they, they kind of wander into uh, the world of print, not really knowing, you know, how you get from A to B. Yeah. And, um, I had designed a, um, uh, it was a three ring binder that had a lot of insert sheets uh, for a broadcaster um, uh, regionally. And I decided that I wanted to do what was referred to as a split fountain. Now, you and I would, um, uh, most people would look at that and they would, okay, it's a gradient that runs from one color to another. This happened to be from kind of like an aqua tone over to a kind of a grassy green. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a linear uh, component that ran across the top of each page. And um, uh, the ability to, to run a gradient has improved over the years and there are different ways that you can run a gradient and you know avoid all the um uh, the challenges of its registration and the likes of that but to keep the the cost down on this job um i wanted to run that uh split fountain and in a single run and the printer's kind of looking at me, uh, going, well, you can't. That's, you know, you, you've got to have a fountain for the green. You've got to have a fountain for the blue. And I said, well, you know, I'm just running a really short quantity on these. Why don't we just turn off the agitator mm-hmm. and go ahead and split the fountain, and which basically means that you're going into the press and you're kind of, you know, uh, you, you've got blue ink on this side and green ink on this side, and they kind of merge together. And on a printing press, there's a, and there's a roller called an agitator. It shifts back and forth, which kind of blends the inks together. But if you turn that off, the ink pretty much stays in the same position for mm-hmm. a period of time, long enough to run this run. And I can remember him kind of looking at me kind of like, okay, no, you're not part of the brotherhood. How do you <laughs> about turning off the agitator and running a split fountain. And I'm not, you know, but there was kind of this, in in a way, he kind of put his arm around me, kind of like you're a kindred spirit because you know enough to ask me about this. Yes. And, yeah, and, and we ended up doing it. It worked out great. But um, it was just one of those things where um, I, I knew enough to be dangerous, yep. but I knew enough to at least let him know that, hey, um, let's have an intelligent conversation about how this print job is going to happen. And, you know, and that is go. a beautiful story that completely aligns with the realities of today. If you know your printer really well and you have a great relationship with them, that really whatever you can think up of in your design mind, you could probably make it happen. But it may involve things that are outside of standard or outside of the normal that you just have a conversation with your printer and things that seem extremely difficult and wild and crazy might just yep. be as simple as turning off the agitator roller. See. Right? Like so so definitely if people are designers are looking to get into print right now and you have some really crazy wild ideas that are outside of standard, have a conversation with your printer because it may not be that crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're there to help you. Yeah. They want to do a great job, too. And it's not about them trying to make as much money as they can on every job. Um, they they probably more than ever realize that um, uh, so many jobs are determined by price anymore, that, uh, that they have to be clever. 
you got to stand out differently. To, you know, to help you come up with a, a great product, but at the same time, because you're going to come back with a great product, but at the same time, uh, being able to economically do it for you. Um, you know, too many secrets that you learn over the years that you, you know, we, I, I don't know that you know this, but we, uh, with every one of our designers, uh, we, we just about press check every job that we go. Awesome. With. And, um, and that means that the most junior designer, we take time to, uh, take them on press checks and kind of talk through what you're looking for, why you're doing it. And, you know, printing has certainly uh, changed over the years, um, and has gotten much more effective and you can do a lot of, uh, a lot of things that you couldn't do at one point. Um, certainly the cost of, uh, doing, um, uh, four color printing has dramatically dropped because, you know, we, we don't have to deal with traditional separations, which used to be the, you know, the, the major cost in any, you know, four color process job. Uh, but, uh, you, you've got to know the little simple secrets and, and things to ask about. They're there to help you. Yep. A hundred percent. So Bill, you've shared some great stories, some wins, some exciting things. Just for this next question, I want to ask about uh, a print project that maybe didn't turn out as you had hoped, didn't go well, went sideways on press. Um, is there a project in your in your history that um, didn't go that great? Can you tell us about that? No, I think they all went just amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I'm going to have to... Uh, really think on this because it, and it's not because uh, I haven't had any. I've certainly, you know, had my share. It's you know um, things that uh, you wish you had done in in hindsight. Um, I'll um, I'll even share a more recent one, which is uh, that we had a uh, uh, a Christmas card that we were running for a client recently, and. Um, we had a, uh, one of our younger designers, um, on the project and, um, uh, I probably didn't write or heard on that job to the degree that I, uh, needed to. And it was a job that could have very simply, it was basically a two color job that had a, um, uh, a foil that was laid on, you know, uh, in a, you know, another pass elsewhere. And, um, because she had a certain budget on that job. Um, it was just a matter of going to the printer and making sure this thing came in on budget, so on and so forth. And uh, uh, it ultimately uh, ended up running um, on a digital press uh, where instead of running two spot colors in there, um, it was basically running CMYK. Um, and uh, it was one that... E- even in running CMYK, it was like it, it, it was a green and a gray. So I I knew that you know we you know you could have dumped the magenta off if you really wanted to, but being a digital press, it really didn't matter. Um, and I preferred that the thing run in spot because um, uh, ultimately we started looking at it. I was going, eh, I'd really like to shift that green, and we realized, oh crap, <laughs> we're printing this thing CMYK. Mm-hmm. I can't affect the green the way that I want to affect the green without affecting other things on this. And uh, it, it mostly came down to um, we hadn't provided the amount of information necessary to the printer for them to effectively know that uh, we would prefer the thing to have run spot 
you know, because there were things that were to our advantage that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just naturally said, great, I've got time and space on a um, uh, digital four color and we'll just run it on that. And, you know, so you've really, you've got to stay on top of a job and uh, you can't make assumptions about uh, how something's going to get run. And uh, honestly, there would have been a lot of budget left over on the thing to do some extra nice things uh, to it had it not run um, on the larger CMYK for us. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's my fault for not staying on top of it. That's probably not the story you were looking for. No, uh, it's it's a perfect story because it it's something that's simple and pretty straightforward. You know, you're not doing a 300-page book that the pages were in the wrong order or anything like that. It was a Christmas card and yeah. a two-color. But just from not either a communication breakdown or just not um, being clear or press checking initially or whatever that was, um, the simple things can still go wrong. And I hope that that doesn't scare anybody away from doing print because print is incredible and you can create wonderful things. Just watch what you're doing. Keep keep in mind the printer wants to make beautiful things too. You know, I mean, that's why they're in it. Mm -hmm. They're there to help you on this whole deal. 100%. Okay, Bill, I want to do a deep dive now. I want to hear about a print project that we can just do an absolute deep dive in. I want to hear about the customer, if they were a nasty customer. And in this one, I know they were a tough customer. Uh, I, want to, <laughs> I want to hear about the budget, the, the quoting process, and all of the development of this project, um, the whole deal. So what you got for that? So... Um, as probably is not going to be too dissimilar from most uh, designers, you know, I, I, you always kind of feel a little bit guilty about that print salesman that comes in that kind of wants to break into your cluster of printers that you work with because we all have our favorite printers. You know, we uh, we naturally do. We may bid, you know, bid against each other, you know, on certain jobs, but too often we just send them to a specific printer. And mm-hmm. we had one uh, printer that we had worked with for years. They're no longer in business. They, the printer retired uh, finally, but um, that we had just built up a tremendous amount of um, uh, trade with. Um, we'd help him out on things and vice versa. And um, when we started putting our own materials, so we are our uh, own worst client, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Brian Miller, who was our designer at the time on the piece, uh, started putting this together. And uh, so it was, you know, the same things. We're, you know, kind of, um, uh, it's the first time that we'd gone in to readdress our own suite of materials uh, for a long time. So there was cards and there were envelopes and there was um, uh, letterhead and note cards and uh, stickers that went onto folders as part of proposals, so on and so forth. And um, I, Brian, in his design of this, managed to, I think, uh, incorporate every, every, and I mean every, let me underline that, possible print technique, uh, which ultimately renders itself into our business cards that we have. And I'll I'll kind of walk you through this uh, here in a second. But if I do a real close-up, and this is, there's going to be a much better way for us to do this, and I'm sure we'll do this, Um, you end up finding, and actually, you don't need to close up what you need is touch vision so you can reach out and touch this thing because I um, I wish I could remember the paper that we uh, went on to on this, but it's got a wonderful tooth to it. You know, it's got a felt finish, and um, as, as you get into it, 
It has uh, it's it's letterpress two colors. There's kind of a violet and there's kind of a burgundy ish mm-hmm. color uh, in there. Um, there is a die cut. You'll see that it's niched in both corners. And this this applies itself whether it's the business card or if it's the envelopes or the note cards. All all the pieces in the system have these same elements to them. There is a blind emboss of the logo and another little letter G. Down in here, there is a almost perfect dotted line that runs across uh, this thing. But probably the most distinctive thing that you may be noticing is that this is the way we actually get our cards with a couple of little holes in it. Uh-huh. And these tabs right here, matter of fact, I'm going to just slide this card in here so you can see. Um, that's actually a everybody when they come here ends up getting a box of these. So what are these? These are a letter-pressed little tab that um, actually has a couple of little holes that have been die-cut into them. So we end up taking these elements. And literally hand-riveting. And, I, and I've got to tell you, we I think we've cornered the market on these because we keep buying them on eBay. We've got several of them around here, but it's an eyelet machine or a little riveter, if you will, that you load up with a specific kind of rivet in here. And this little guy right here turns and rotates, which ends up feeding the rivets down uh, this little chute so that I'm going to aim my camera down here for a second so you can kind of see this process and what's going on. But... We take our card and we line up the little holes there, and we come in here and line it. I've got to put my glasses on to see what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) But we line it up over the hole there. Yeah, come on. Can't pull this off. And we come down, and okay, I wasn't loaded. Here we go. Press down in there. And what it does is it, you know, pops a little rivet into the thing. And you line that one up and you do the same thing. Yeah. So I'm fortunate that um, uh, Susan Schrader, who's taken care of me for years, um, occasionally I'll hear this thing running up at her desk and she's up there running off more business cards for me. But we not only do that, I'm trying to think here, uh, we have thank you cards. So that little piece that goes over them, is that a paper substrate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, um, and and I wish I knew what the uh, paper itself was. The colored paper for sure. Um, but a lot of people go, you know, that card that has that little leather thing that is on there. And a lot of people just assume that's leather. That's what I thought until you told me. But it's not, you know, it just kind of has that look to it. Um, the uh, uh, thank you cards, which again are uh, letter pressed you know, uh, throughout, um, and those kind of come over, um, all of the envelopes were converted, um, uh, matter of fact, uh, it's kind of hard to tell, but we even did a little, uh, kind of, uh, blind emboss for where the stamp goes on there, so it's got a platform for the, uh, stamp when we do that, uh, but everything about the system is just you know pretty pretty wonderful typography, uh, so it's great design. Uh, has that tactileness, and I you know 
I used to use the phrase, and I still do occasionally, um, of this piece has hang time. And when I say hang time, it's that you hand this card to somebody and it doesn't go in the trash. Un they may hate you, but, the <laughs> but, but they won't throw it away because it has enough aesthetic quality to it. Yep. It has enough sense to it that it suddenly becomes a thing. You know, it's it's more than just you know it's it's some serious ephemera that they want to hang on to, mm -hmm. and it's the same thing that we do for our clients. You know, when we design something for them, we try and design things that uh, when they when they print, they've got this quality to them that people don't want to let loose of it. And you know, it's it's one of the things that is unique about print. That you know, I mean, uh, it's kind of like that site on 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 the web that you love so much that you put it in the bookmark of the very first spot except you can't touch that screen mm -hmm. and go oh it feels like this you know, <laughs> yes touch these and say wow you know it feels wonderful so and you bring up a really good point with that with the business card and i like the phrase you use where the piece has hang time right yeah, because when you're creating something like that, and like you said, you know, even if they don't like you and they're not going to do business with you, that card hangs around. That's branding. They're showing other people in their office or other people are seeing it because it's hanging out on their monitor or on their desk or things like that. That hang yeah. time. I love that saying. Yeah, yeah. It works. Yeah. So the entire system, the whole collateral system for Gardner Design all has complementing elements and it all is just an incredible tactile experience across the whole thing. Yeah, it really is. The, um, uh, the, uh, the label that we use to apply to um, uh, various things. I don't have a sample. I don't think I've got a sample that handy uh, in here, but it ends up, um, no, don't have it. Uh, it ends up wrapping around um, uh, folders or envelopes and it has a little perf in it so the perf line uh, is right where it folds over and you have space to fill out information on the back of it and the front of it has our return address and mm -hmm. it has the space to address it to them and I mean everything about this kind of uh, uh, approaches the proposition of expressing information in such a unique fashion that it stops the person they kind of go Oh, okay. I've not seen it handled that way before. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, Bill, because it's it's obviously not going to be inexpensive to go to the amount of depth that you've gone to create these cards. Mm -hmm. So why would you put the added expense in and do these debossing and nice papers and letterpress printing and extra die cut and hand riveting things? Like why go to that expense instead of just printing a digital CMYK business card? Okay. So let's, I'm, I'm going to shift my uh, hat from uh, talking about print order branding for a moment. Yes. Uh, because that really is what you're uh, asking about. So yes. when, when, when we talk to um, a client about their brand, um, you know, one of the things, uh, so for those people that don't know, Gardner Design uh, does uh, nothing but branding. I mean, that's what our focus is. And about two-thirds of the work that we do is actually rebranding. So that means that you're dealing with clients that have enough wherewithal to, to do it right. 
-hmm. and have gotten to a point where they recognize that it's time for them to uh, realign their uh, visual properties, their voice, um, uh, so that they again have relevance and resonate with the, the right group of people out there. And your comment on the business card is such a wonderful kind of um, setup for this particular conversation. I know. Yeah, you did good. We we all um, uh, have had somebody hand us a business card before that uh, you are pretty sure, whether you're educated or not in the field of print, that it was run off at Kinko's or at a, you know, uh, you know, at home shop or at home. And uh, all of those telltale signs, whether they reside in the consumer's mind back here or up here are there, you know, um, it's the card that comes out of the wallet or out of the purse that, you know, has just a little bit of wear and some of the digital's rubbed off or the, just the feel of it or the, the weight is flimsy or, you know, all of these things, the sheen, you know, is usually the biggest giveaway um, on something that's been printed, you know, on bad digital. Now there are good digital, you know, I mean, you can still print good, you know, stuff digitally, but you have to pay attention to what you're doing on that. When, when we talk about brand claim, we often um, talk about it in terms of building consistency for that client. And detail is such an important part of consistency. And if we can create for you um, graphics that go on your fleet and signage on your building and a website that matches these and print collateral material and correspondence material that all match together, that are all built out of that exact same family of visual vocabulary, to the degree that you see any part of any one of those and you recognize the brand, then you have expressed the idea to your customer that you are detail-oriented, that you are going to be consistent in the answers and information you give them. And when they, they register back here, all of these touch points that they've seen, each of those builds up your value to that potential customer, builds equity in your firm so that they make an assumption. And in our business and marketing, assumptions are, we, we bank on assumptions. And, you know, in I'm to vet every decision that they make. And if I see all of this level of consistency and detail, then I'm going to make the assumption that if I call them up, that they're going to answer the phone in a friendly fashion. Mm -hmm. That if I send an email, they'll respond to me in a timely fashion. That if I hire them to do a job, that they have the financial wherewithal to do that. And they're going to deliver it on the date that they said they will. And they're going to deliver the kind of product that they have promised me. All of these weren't said when you handed over that digital printed card that you know came off your local you know print shop or off your own printer. They weren't said when that was when that transaction occurred. But when that transaction occurs, that is what's running through a consumer's mind. Is they take that card that you just handed them 
and they start to put it into their wallet or they start to put it, you know, wherever they are going to put it. And, and we're just talking about a card at this point, but, mm-hmm. but it expands to cover all elements, you know, of, of that brand, of that need to build it. So I know that when I go to hand my card to somebody, that there is more detail and information on here than they will ever ever fathom. Yep. You know, and and that's okay with me. I don't I I don't need them to you know unpack everything that went on to make this card happen. But they do see that level of detail, and when they receive that thank you note from us, and they're going, oh. And that relates to this, mm-hmm. and and oh, that envelope is printed on the same paper, and oh, the stamp is on this little raised platform on here. You know, all of these things start to build their assumptions about you, and detail is one of the most critical aspects. So when you start to talk about print and all the beautiful things that you can do in print, you're not doing it just to see how much money you can spend. No. All of all of those all of those things that you have built into that project are there to serve a purpose, and that purpose is to establish in the consumer's mind their opinion about that brand. Yeah, you nailed it, and and what I uh, the way you said it, you know, from the angle of detail oriented is a way I haven't thought about it before. But what you're really saying when you're handing over a haphazard digital inexpensive printed at home or whatever flimsy business card to somebody you're right they're seeing like this was thrown together not much thought was put into this and those negative connotations conscious or subconscious are immediately tied to the brand so when the business card as simple as it sounds is the first touch point of an exchange between your brand and a potential customer do you want them to think they are, you know, they're classy, they're detail oriented, they think through these things, they have a purpose behind this? Like that's what you want them thinking. Wow. So what are what is the what's the what's the? Well, I got really deep, really serious. Let's yeah, that was legit. <laughs> so what is what is the consequence if somebody has a great website, a great logo on the side of their building, they deliver a great product? for a great, maybe even slightly above market price, but they have a flimsy, lame business card, and that's the first touch point. What's the potential consequence of that? Yeah, you know, uh, so you, we, we always think in terms of the hierarchy of elements in any kind of a uh, brand as far as those first touch points. We mm-hmm. keep using the term touch points, but those first places where you intersect with your client mm-hmm. or potential client. And, you know, uh, that, that business card um, is usually a handoff. It's, you know, uh, something, you know, out, outside of the COVID arena where, you know, people are used to shake hands. It's, you know, it's that <laughs> that literally passes. I suppose, you know, it's that bridge. That if you don't shake hands, at least, it, you know, you get something. It was a ticket that belonged to somebody else. Uh, but, you know, that, that's really critical because that element is what reinforces you and is basically your totem that reminds you of that interaction you had with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a website is not going to be as um, 
personally oriented. It's it's obviously not you know a human interaction necessarily. There are ways it can be, but you know um, you're you're looking at that information. But it's really critical that all of those elements reinforce each other, because if if I hand you this and you're contemplating doing business with me, and then you go to my website and you pull that up and it's a turd or it's, you know, um, uh, you've, you know, the design may look about the same, but it's got a whole different set of colors or, you know, I mean, those elements, that discord in there, that lack of harmony is, again, the kind of thing that registers back here that you aren't going to say, yeah, well, that color's got at least uh, two degrees sh- or two shades lighter than the one on that. You, you aren't going to say that. But it's something that you make note of in your mind. And as these impressions mount, if they are consistent and they align with each other, then that builds good impressions. Mm-hmm. And if they don't align with each other, you know, that builds um, discord and it uh, doesn't give you a good foundation to make that uh, decision on. Mm-hmm. No, well said. Yeah. Yeah. Did I come close? Yeah, absolutely. No, you. This this went to a spot that I didn't anticipate, but I'm so glad it did. Good, because that it really highlights like when somebody says a business card. Why do I need a business card? Like, this is why. Are you going to be meeting somebody in person ever? Yeah, and telling them about your business ever. Yeah. Right there, that's your reason. That's why. Yeah. Uh, you, you and I have had this conversation prior to this, uh, where we were talking about uh, print and uh, it finding its way in a new generation and uh, the likes, and uh, where it really excels and where you know it doesn't excel to the degree that it used to in some places. And um, I, I may have shared with you that you know when we had when we have a new client that uh, comes in, we're dealing with uh, you know. 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I would say, okay, well, um, you know, correspondence material, you're going to have business cards, letterhead, envelope, uh, you know, you start to list these out. And now I'll have some clients that look at me and go, well, I, I don't actually use business cards or I don't actually, you know, all I need is a digital letterhead. And, you know, so it's important to kind of um, have that conversation with your client because there are aspects of print that they may not need because mm-hmm. they make good virtually. Um, but you're absolutely right that for those uh, clients that uh, 90% of their interaction isn't, you know, face-to-face, for that 10% where it is face-to-face, being able to, you know, have that ticket, that transaction that reminds them of that interaction is just incredibly critical. Yeah, incredible, critical, valuable, 100%. Um, so moving on from that, Bill, what is some advice that you would give a designer who is new to print or wanting to get started with print? Um, it's probably going to come down to developing that relationship, um, uh, with a printer and, you know, there's, uh, there is no warmer, more welcome, um, uh, proposition to a printer than to have somebody come in and say, you know, educate me, <laughs> or I don't know the answer to this. Can you help me out? Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're they're not going to take you on a, on a Mr. Toad's wild ride. They're they're there because they want 
your business and uh, and they, they want to do a good job for you, which is how they're going to maintain it. And they're, you know, uh, God, I've never met a printer that doesn't love to talk about, you know, the minutia of their business and what they do and, you know, and how they can help you. If anything, they're yes. sometimes fearful of the fact that they may overload uh, <laughs> uh, on this. But um, uh, I, I, my, I guess my uh, advice to that young printer or that young designer is don't make the assumption that you know, um, because chances are you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, young designers all get to that point where they've designed that thing uh, and, you know, on screen, they've, you know, they've got it all set up, they think, and uh, then they go, uh, how do I get it from here <laughs> to here? <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of um, there are a lot of things that need to be done in advance before you start designing to to make sure that whatever you design gets to here. You know, and that starts by having that conversation with the printer before you ever even start to print. You know, design that job. You know, there's. Uh, there are economies of page size and the likes that, uh, you know, the, uh, the deciding that you're going to run something that is other than eight and a half by 11 or nine by 12 is a great idea. But it also means that you may end up spending a few more dollars because it doesn't fit onto a parent size sheet the same way or, you know, and you know, if, if you go to them and tell them what your parameters are, what you're kind of dealing with on the job, they're going to be able to guide you to some solutions that will allow you to design with enough information that you don't create something that your client can never afford to print, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't have the ability to print. Uh, you, you don't end up designing a 13-page brochure and start wondering how you're going to get that extra half page in there. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's just a, a lot of things that, um, uh, gosh, you should have learned in school but if you had a good uh, teacher, but that you certainly um, uh, have a printer that's willing to give you a free education on the things that you need to know. Definitely. Let them, let them help you. Definitely. I completely agree. That's that's the, one of the best pieces of advice is build those relationships and exercise those relationships. Okay. So Bill, you've reached the point of the show for what I'm calling the ask the audience question. This is where, you know, I've got this group of graphic designers who are interested in print, um, you know, on the Instagram, on the old Instagram, Instagrams. And uh, I'm giving you, my guest on the show, an opportunity to ask them a question. Um, it doesn't have to be print related. It can be anything really that you want. But what would you like to ask this group of designers that is interested in print or eager to get started? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, Logo Lounge here for just a second. And um, uh, because it is designed as a resource um, and that there are a lot of uh, other resources uh, out there uh, for designers to, to use and look at. It's going to be what's, what's most important to uh, those young designers as they are uh, uh, scanning over the internet or looking for materials in print um, 
when it comes to uh, influencing their own design. And it's kind of a it's kind of a big question, but it, it, it ultimately kind of comes back to what what are your favorite resources, your favorite go tos um, that uh, give you that level of inspiration. Um, I you know uh, no nobody lives in a vacuum, mm-hmm. and uh, we you know we we need to make sure that we're designing so that the consumer gets it. And we don't live in a fantasy world, but mm-hmm. where, do, where do we go for our inspiration? I mean, um, there, there, there was a time that I could be pretty convinced that all my designers, uh, you know, on our team would have a, a print annual or a communication art annual or something like that open at their desk, yeah. you know, just kind of flipping through, just kind of feeding their brain as they're working on a project and kind of going, oh, that's kind of cool. And I could, you know, that's kind of cool. And I could go, you know. Um, anymore uh, there are so many different places to go what are those favorite go-tos uh, for inspiration where do you get your inspiration Maybe I, it's love, not- yeah. I love that question because it can span so many different things from digital to print to magazines to, to all kinds of different things yep. Bill, you've reached the end of the Print Design Podcast, man. This was incredible talking print with you and hearing about the how you value it and how you share that value of it with your customers. And I mean, the the live demonstration of a business card assembly, happy days. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked a lot better once I put my glasses on and I could see what I was doing. But... <laughs> awesome. So, Bill, thank you so much for being my guest today, man. It was great. You're welcome. Thanks, Dave. Anytime. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode. That is it. And at some point, I'm going to share the video of this interview and some of the clips before and after I hit record because it was just fantastic. Bill was rearranging his office and getting the equipment to show me the riveting of the cards. Like, like a lot of planning and thought went into this. And he actually riveted and showed me a business card creation right there on camera. So it was pretty rad to see that. And I want to share that with you, the listener as well. So we'll get to that point. Uh, sometime soon I'll upload that video, a little YouTube, little tube video. Thanks so much again for listening to the print design podcast. If you love what you're hearing, please take a minute and head over to Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you are listening and leave a rating and a review. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. See you next week.